Thank you, Drew, and thank you for being here this afternoon. Appreciate so much you coming back. It's not the greatest of afternoons in terms of weather, but we're glad that you're here, and we hope and pray that you will benefit from our worship together this afternoon. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the passage that was read a moment ago. And the theme of our lesson today, has the world rubbed off on you? The world has always been a threat to God's people. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 8, when the children of Israel approached Samuel the prophet, and they asked for a king, and the reason was that they might be like all the nations around them. In James chapter 1, James talks about pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father. One of the characteristics of genuine religion is to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. The world that we're talking about is not the inhabitants that live in the world, nor is it the sphere or globe upon which we live today. But rather, the world identified by John is the cosmos. And that word really carries with it the idea of order, arrangement, a system, if you please. A couple of the words that we get from this term, cosmopolitan where people from various places and influences come together. A second term that is derived from cosmos is the word cosmetics. And sometimes you'll hear women talk about, for lack of a better way to say it, putting their face in order or adorning their face. Well, John said that we're not to love the world. The reason is because the world is under the domain of the devil. You remember in 1 John, over in chapter 5 at verse 19, John would say that the whole world lies in wickedness or lies under the sway of the wicked one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 at verse 4, Paul speaks of the God of this age, or some translations say, the God of this world. Our goal is to strive to the best of our ability to remain unspotted from the world in which we live. Now, that's not always easy because we live in a world that is under the domain of the devil, and he's doing everything within his power to influence us, but to remember that we are God's children. You remember over in 1 John chapter 1, John talked about how we have fellowship one with another and with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And the idea is that we are to walk in the light. In so doing, we continue to enjoy the rich blessings of the blood of Jesus. And so we're trying to walk in, in cadence or in harmony with God's Word. And really, when we talk about walking in the light, that's what that means, to walk in harmony with God's Word. And John would say in 1 John chapter 2, at verse 3, Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. 
So our allegiance is to Christ. The threat, however, is that the world can infiltrate our spiritual lives. And so John, first and foremost, provides for us a divine demand. Listen to him. Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world, for all that is in the world, and so on, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And we'll talk about that in a moment or two. But to understand, first and foremost, that there is the preciseness of the command. John said we're not to love the world. If you see a sign in a building or in a certain place that says, do not enter, well, you understand what that means. And so what John is saying is that we are not to love the world. A very straightforward statement, isn't it? Anyone can understand it. Matter of fact, if we don't understand that, then my suggestion would be we'll probably make it on a baby's ticket to heaven. It's just that easy to understand. So it is a straightforward command. But it's also a sobering command. Because John said, If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, our allegiance is to whom? Well, it's to the Lord. And we're trying to ultimately get to heaven, aren't we? We're making preparation. Our goal is to one day be in the presence of Almighty God. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You remember when Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, to depart and be with Christ far better. Paul realized that his citizenship was in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are identified by Peter as strangers, sojourners, pilgrims. And the idea is we're just passing through. So number one, the preciseness of the command. But then secondly, what's the purpose of the command? Why do you think John, in writing to the Christians in the first century, writing to Christians in the first century, would say, do not love the world, neither the things which are in the world. Well, I think, number one, there is always the danger of compromise. When we begin spending too much time with the wrong kinds of people, feeding on the wrong kinds of activities, when we frequent places that are not becoming of a Christian, then there's a danger, and what happens is there is this constant chipping away or what we might call the erosion of our faith. The goal is to build a strong faith. In our Bible class today, we talked about how those who are new, new Christians, identified by Peter as babes in Christ. And the, the goal is to feed on the sincere milk of the Word. Peter would say that we're to grow in grace and knowledge. The idea of compromise. Go back again and look at 1 Samuel chapter 8 and about verse 5. The children of Israel, they had a king. Their king was Almighty God. 
And you remember in the book of Judges in chapter 21, verse 25, the book of Judges, very cyclical in nature. And you have God's people, they're faithful to him for a period of time. And then they begin to wane in their faithfulness to God. God raises up someone to oppress them. And then over a period of time, they cry out. And God raises up a judge, a deliverer. And that cycle continues to repeat throughout the book. But in chapter 21, verse 25, the writer said, In those days there was no king in Israel. Well, I thought God was their king. He was. And yet, because they had abdicated a relationship with God, because they no longer viewed Him as their king, the writer said, Every man did what was right in his own eyes. So our goal is to maintain allegiance to King Jesus because He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if Jesus is reigning and ruling in our hearts or lives, that means we take our direction from the head of the church, that being King Jesus. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the children of Israel, they approach the prophet. And they say, give us a king that we might be like the nations around us. The world had already begun to influence them, had rubbed off on them. And so they wanted a king. So number one, there is always the danger of compromise. But then secondly, there is the danger of conformity. You remember in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when the Apostle Paul said that we're not to be conformed to the world. The idea is we're not to allow the world to shape and to mold us. Well, how then do we resist the urges, the inclinations of the world? Well, Paul tells us, doesn't he? He said, rather than allowing the world to pour us into its mold, we're to be transformed. There is to be a metamorphosis that takes place. You ever, seen a you ever seen a caterpillar that will turn into a butterfly? Well, there's a change that takes place in our lives. How then does that change come about? It's by allowing the Word of God to find a home in our heart. There is what I would, what I would suggest, the alteration of how we live, of how we think, of how we act. Well, that doesn't happen automatically, does it? No, you remember Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. So here's somebody who's trying to allow the word of God to govern his or her life. They're trying to transform they're thinking. Now, you just think for a minute or two about all the things that bombard us on a daily basis. Is it not true that sometimes it's difficult to think right and act right because of the influences of the world? Well, the answer would be yes, wouldn't it? Now, there's a second thought here. First, there's a divine demand, but secondly, a detailed description. John said, love not the world, 
Neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let's just talk for a moment or two about the deceiver of the world. I mentioned a moment ago that the devil is identified as the God of this age. The devil is the one who is trying to exercise his will in our lives. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, John depicts the devil as the deceiver of the whole world. All of the mayhem and the, pro the problems that we face in the human family, all of that go, go back to the devious work of the devil which began in the Garden of Eden. When the devil tricked, deceived, beguiled Mother Eve. And how did he do that? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Now, what about the deceiver of the world? Well, number one, to understand that he is a relentless foe and a ruthless foe. The devil has no regard for the human family. There's no love lost between us and the devil. We might say it like this, he hates us. He despises us. He wants to destroy us. Now, is he determined in his efforts? Yes, he is. You remember Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You're on his radar. You may not know it, but you're on his radar. And he is determined to destroy you. Wherever the devil goes, he always leaves behind him a wake of destruction. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. When the Apostle Paul penned the prison epistles in about A.D. 61 or 62, when he wrote the book of Philemon, writing to a Christian brother, you remember in verse 24 of that book, he identified one of his co-laborers, a fellow by the name of Demas. He was a man that stood side by side, shoulder to shoulder with the Apostle Paul, a faithful child of God, somebody who was laboring, working effectively in the kingdom of God. Six years later, though, everything had changed. When Paul wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in about verse 10, Paul said, For Demas has forsaken me. And here's what he said. Having loved this present world. So here was a guy, just like us, a member of the body of Christ, a part of a priesthood of believers, a part of that holy nation, a child of God, somebody that had enjoyed all the rich blessings and favors of God, the rich fellowship with people like Paul 
the fellowship that he enjoyed with the Father, with the Son. But the world came between him and the Lord and his people. The devil is insidious in his work. And he is doing everything within his power to destroy us. Now there's a second thought here. It has to do with the deceptiveness of the devil. There is a constant appeal to those of us who belong to the body of Christ. The devil is appealing to us and he is trying to allure us. For example, you remember in James chapter 1 when James talks about temptation? And he said, temptation does not result from the work of Almighty God. But rather, every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust. Lust, when it has conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Can the devil make the world look good? Yes, he can. Can he make the world look appealing? You remember what the Bible says about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11? How he chose to affiliate himself with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. The devil uses the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life to accomplish his will. That's his strategy. Those are his tactics. And he can make things look so good and so tantalizing and so appealing. Now the theme of our study this afternoon has the world rubbed off on you. What kind of people do you associate with on a regular basis? The people that you spend the most time with on a daily basis. Are they in the, in the church or are they in the world? Now because we have responsibilities in the workplace and because we live in the world, we are automatically thrust into an arena where we are dealing with people that do not necessarily have the same objectives and standards that we have. Many of us, we've worked side by side with people that aren't members of the church. We have been involved in activities with people who are not members of the church. But the point is simply this. If we choose to associate with people that do not have our values, if we choose to associate with people and places that do not represent the ideals of Christianity, then that is a threat to our way of thinking. It is a threat to our Christianity. Now I know that there are a lot of people in the world today, there are a lot of folks in the world today that if we're not careful, 
they will influence us in a very subtle manner. Again, think about erosion. Typically, erosion doesn't happen overnight. But that constant drip, day after day after day, what happens? It takes a toil on things, doesn't it? So, that being the case, we have to decide, number one, what kind of people we're going to associate with. The people that we associate with, are they members of the body of Christ? Are they people that will help us get to heaven one day? If they constantly use foul language, tell bad jokes, if they encourage us to go places that we know we have no business going, how do you think that's going to work out in the long run? Think it's going to help us? Absolutely not. What happens is, before you know it, we're drawn away. We're influenced. Don't tell me it can't happen because I have seen it happen, as you have. We have to protect our Christianity, protect our values, protect our character, protect our integrity. One of the real problems that we face in the church today is the world. And we've had a lot of brethren in days gone by that have been influenced by the world. And the old saying, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, Acts like a duck, it's a duck. By the same token, if we are constantly feeding on things of the world, it will destroy our faith. How much time do you spend watching television every day? Nothing wrong with television. But now, the kind of programming that we watch on television, that could or could not be a problem when it comes to our faith. The kind of music that we listen to, a lot of good music out there. But there's some music played on the airways. There is music that you can download, you can access, that I can tell you what, it is not fit for anything or anyone. It's garbage. And why sometimes people in the Lord's church would want to listen to that kind of filth, I do not know. And it will have an effect on you. It will affect how you think. It will impact how you act. So what John is saying is that as children of God, we've got to be very, very careful. Is it easy to get sucked into the world? Yes, it is. Why? Because the devil makes it look so good. The devil is constantly trying to allure us. And so what John is saying is, we've got to protect our base. To remember, number one, who we are. To remember, number two, whose we are. We belong to God, don't we? That's not to say that we're going to be perfect. That we're not going to sometimes stumble and fall and make bad, you know, make bad decisions, make mistakes in life. 
Otherwise, John would have never said, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And John said the remedy when we do sin is to repent and confess. Remember what he said, 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now there is a third point that we want to consider in our study. It has to do with the definitive doom of the world. There are two possibilities that lie before all of us. We can buy into that system of the world that when it's all said and done is futile and will fail in the last day. Or we can buy into that system that will last forever. That is, we'll follow God's will. Think about what, you remember Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes? Solomon talked about all the things that life has to offer. Solomon experienced a lot of different things in a lot of different ways in life. In many respects, Solomon lived the kind of life that there are a lot of people in the world today would jump at the opportunity to experience. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, here's what Solomon said, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Well, what do you mean, Solomon? Life separate and apart from God is a futile existence. That's why over in chapter 12 he would say, look, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments. Why? Because this is man's all. And here's why. Because we are going to be accountable to our Creator. He's going to bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. So there is this futility associated with the world. But then secondly, and this is what John says. If you hook your wagon to the world, what he's saying is you are hooking your wagon to a system in which there is no future. And we all like to think we have a future, don't we? Even as we grow older in life, don't we enjoy stepping back and just thinking, maybe dreaming about the future, what lies before us? Well, here's what John said. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now listen to him. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. You think there have been people in days gone by, and even members of the body of Christ, that got caught up in the world? and began immersing themselves in the pleasures and passions of the world? Sure. Are there people in eternity that from the vantage point of the world, as we would say, had it all? I mean, they had everything. They had power. They had popularity. They had untold possessions. They had, they had immersed themselves in the pleasures of life as Solomon did many years ago. But now they're in eternity. 
And because their wagon had been hooked to the world, they have no future. Because, quite frankly, they're not where we want to be. Oh, they're in the Hadean realm, but they're not in paradise. They're not in the presence of God. They're not being comforted. No, the Bible says they're being tormented. So on the one hand, there is this system that offers absolutely no hope. But then there is another very ordered, structured system that offers hope. Well, what about that other system? It's called the Christian system. Many years ago, Alexander Campbell wrote a book called The Christian System. You may have a copy of it. It's a good book. So what about our assurances in Christ? Didn't John write to assure Christians of their relationship to the Lord? Not just in this life, but also with the prospect of the life to come. Now you think about something. John is writing to Christians in the first century. And John details all the great riches that we enjoy in Christ. One of which is, in 1 John 2, 25, John said, this is a promise that he's promised to us, eternal life. And what John is saying is, why would you throw all of that away for the world? And Don't you think there are people in eternity as we speak now? that are asking themselves, why did I throw all of that away for the temporary passing pleasures of the world? We have the assurance that as long as we're striving to abide in Christ, all will be well. Now again, are we going to be perfect? Certainly not. Will we make mistakes? Sure. Why? Because we're human. We're fallible. But from a preemptive standpoint, a proactive vantage point, what John is saying is, look, you have something that is incredibly important. We might use the word precious. It's your faith. And John talks about the victory that overcomes the world. What is that victory that overcomes the world? Even our faith. Why would we want to throw all of that away for what the world has to offer? Let me tell you what, here's an interesting irony to what we're talking about. I was talking to a friend of mine at the gym, not a member of the church. Sometimes people in the world see things that maybe we fail to see as members of the body of Christ. He said, why would someone throw their life away for 10 or 15 minutes of pleasure? Now, there's somebody from the world. Now, if somebody from the world sees that and gets that, even though he's not a Christian, 
Don't you think those of us who are in Christ who ought to be far wiser, don't you think we ought to see that, that we ought to have that mindset, and that we ought to realize there is absolutely nothing the world has to offer, there's nothing the devil has to offer us that is worth our eternal soul. Didn't Jesus say it best? What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's some rich people in this world. I can't even begin to wrap my mind around having a financial portfolio that would be over $100 billion. But there are folks like that. Would you give your soul for a billion dollars? Would you give your soul for a little bit of fame? Would you give your soul for just a little bit of what the world has to offer? You know what John's saying? You choose the world and you are choosing a system that when it's all said and done will fail you. Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? Because all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of the Father will abide forever. Whether we realize it or not, the world will not win. And those who are aligned with the world, they will not win. And John is telling us, do not sacrifice our soul for the world. Are you a Christian today? Remember the body of Christ? Could we encourage you to come to Christ? To put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God? To recognize there's a better way of life. It's called the Christian way. Would you be willing to turn from the ways of the world through repentance, confess the name of Christ, and then be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away? We talk about the defilements of the world and all the things that can stain the life. All of that can be washed away by the blood of Christ. And we contact that blood when we're baptized into Christ. And then to understand that once we, belong to, once we belong to Christ, once we are members of the church, to remember we are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people. That's who we are. And we belong to the Lord, and one day we want to hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. If you're here this afternoon, and maybe your life's not what it ought to be, and you need to maybe refocus, redirect, where you're headed. Could we pray with you and for you today? The promise is God will abundantly pardon. Won't you come as we stand and sing?